0: Welcome to the Unsophisticated Palette, a podcast about all things wine, beer, and spirits. Join us each week as we drink and delve into different alcohol-related topics. I'm Mark.
1: And I'm Ian.
0: Cheers. Cheers. Do you have a beverage today, Ian?
1: Yes, I do. I'm drinking a Brandy Martini right now.
0: Oh, that sounds delicious. So uh, Basically, instead of your vodka or gin, you, you replace it with brandy?
1: Yeah, I, um, I recently made some apple brandy at work, and I have really been enjoying it, especially with some vermouth and a lemon peel. It's, it's very uh, tasty, kind of fruity, citrusy, uh, fits nice uh, fall weather
0: very nice very nice um, so let's so for those you've been on several times you're kind of the uh, I, I'd say unofficial but I think at this point you are the official uh, cocktail expert here um, at the unsophisticated palette. so um, but some people may not have uh, heard you in the past or this may be their first foray and in which case I'd strongly recommend go back and listen to some of the past episodes with you with the uh, Ann Arbor Distilling as well as just the Cocktails one with you. Um, but that so for those people who haven't had that pleasure uh, if you can just tell us a little bit about who you are and 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 what you do.
1: Yeah my, my name is Ian. I have been working at the Ann Arbor Distilling Company for a little over a year now, where I assist the distiller in making all of our spirits. I do everything there that the head distiller does as well, so together we Ferment things, we we're a grain to glass distillery. So everything we start with from scratch and then we distill to be poured into a glass for you to drink. Um, Before that, I was a bartender for like seven and a half years working with wine and spirits in different locations throughout Ann Arbor.
0: So today we're going to talk about some more cocktails. Last time we were on here, we were able to talk about I think we got four, five, six different cocktails that we we kind of discussed. So today we kind of grabbed a few more and figured we'd come on here and kind of talk about the drinks, what they are, a little bit of history, some of that kind of fun stuff, and and go from there. So I think the first one you wanted to talk about today, which is I think one most people are familiar with, although I learned a whole lot just uh, just kind of doing some quick research on this one. Plus, I'm so I'm very interested in what you have to say. Uh, but that's the margarita. So why don't you tell me a little bit about the margarita and and uh, you know you, what, what what do you have to tell me about margaritas?
1: Yeah, I agree. Everybody knows what a margarita is but not everybody knows kind of like the history behind a margarita. And I thought I knew, but I was surprised to learn a little bit when I was researching the margarita. Uh, But to begin with, for those that might not know exactly what goes into a margarita, it's a fairly simple drink, but it can be served many different ways. The basics of the drink though is tequila, orange liqueur more commonly used is triple sec and lime juice served with a salt rim most frequently but not always. Uh, Like I was saying that the drink is very diverse in the way that you see it being served. It could be Uh, shaken with ice and served in a margarita glass, uh, which is very similar to the classic champagne coupe, or it could be served on the rocks in just like a normal rocks glass, Um, or it could be kind of like blended with ice slushy form in any kind of glass you might think of. Um, and it's also served more commonly too with a lime wedge or a lime wheel on the rim. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I was actually surprised. I I think for me, one of my biggest surprises was it the, how simple the ingredients are because I don't know, I always thought there was a lot more to a margarita, and, and especially when you, I, I, don't know, I see them all over, there's always margarita mix. There's, mm-hmm. like you were saying, a wide variety of different types. And so I had always, it's just, I don't know, just assumed there was a lot more to a margarita, but it really is just that tequila, the orange liqueur, like you said, most commonly a tri- triple sack, although it could be a Contreau, mm-hmm. um, or the Grand Marnier for the Cadillac version, if you want. Uh, that's kind of your Cadillac, um, your upper shelf, I guess, if you will. Um, but I was, I don't know that that's one of the things that just surprised me off the bat is I just thought it was a lot more complicated and complex than that.
1: Right. Exactly. It's so simple and some places will put a little extra simple syrup in there, but in my opinion, the orange liqueur that you're using, whichever it might be is usually sweet enough on its own that you don't really need extra um, but it depends on who's ordering it and where you're ordering it from. But the history of the margarita is very interesting, um, I think, because it kind of came about during Prohibition, at least it became more popular in Prohibition when people started going towards um, the other side of the border for alcohol where prohibition was not a thing. And there you'll find tequila. And I did not know that the uh, Spanish word for the Spanish word margarita means daisy, which is what the drink is a spin off of the daisy, where you're replacing brandy with tequila. Yeah, and I wasn't aware of that either. That that uh, you
0: know that that the margarita meant Daisy, and I think that's awesome. And and like you said too, it's all the during Prohibition, all the people jumping across the border. um, They didn't have the
1: brandy. Was it brandy? Is that what it was? That's what what I read. It was brandy instead of tequila going into the drink. Got
0: it. And so brandy, of course, can be a lot less common in Mexico. So you throw tequila in there and. Now you got a margarita.
1: It's The margarita, I feel like some people have a kind of like preconceived idea of what it is, but it really can be so diverse of a drink. Uh, I briefly worked for um, almost a year. I worked at a bar that also served a lot of Mexican food and so we had a lot of Mexican themed drinks even though we weren't branded as a Mexican restaurant or Mexican bar but one of the owners was Mexican and brought in a lot of family recipes and style to the place and we of course had a margarita on the menu and I really liked ours because we served it we served it up Um, So, no ice, but it was shaken with ice. And instead of a salt rim, we had a tahine rim. If you're familiar with the seasoning tahine,
0: very vaguely.
1: It has some peppers in there. There's some salt in there. There's some like dried lime peel in there. So, it's just like a, a spicy, flavorful seasoning and uh it adds a really that oh, nice... sounds
0: like a perfect compliment
1: oh yes exactly it's a really nice compliment to the margarita and something that i do like to do as well that we did at that bar was instead of lime juice we used a sour which uh, we made in-house with orange juice lime juice and lemon juice and so it just kind of opens up the flavor a little bit more broadens it up and really pulls out some nice flavors in the tequila and complements even better with the tahini.
0: and that's sour again i think that's part of what i was uh thinking about interpreting as whatever, like I said, the making it more complex, because people will talk, or I said, I, I think I refer to it as a margarita mix or something like But That's that sour, but that sour really is kind of the lime juice, but as you said, could also be blended with other citruses, um, you know, generally sour, right? And then, so that's kind of the sour when people are talking about that in a, in a margarita, that it's, it's that simple that it's usually just that fruit juice or that I guess that citrus juice
1: yeah totally and you can order most places like Mexican bars and restaurants will have their specific house version of a margarita which is usually always fun and good Uh, but you could of course always order one however you like it as well
0: And like you, I actually worked for a long time in a, uh, well, I don't know, like you, you worked more in a bar. I worked, actually worked in a Mexican restaurant for a long time in the kitchen. I was a kitchen manager there and uh, I didn't drink at the time, but again, I think my exposure to margaritas is slightly off from working there because it was more of a, um, I guess your Tex-Mex or Cal-Mex. It was kind of a modernized twist on Mexican. So of course, all our margaritas were you know, super fruity. Uh, I mean, it was a different one every week or whatever, like, you know, blackberry yeah. margaritas and watermelon margaritas and, you know, and everything else. So I just always assumed that that's strawberry margaritas, whatever, that that's yeah. kind of what a margarita was. And I think it was backing into it, or as I've gotten older and and learned more about margaritas, that's actually again, they're delicious, and they're really good. But that's definitely a twist or variation on a normal margarita
1: just about anywhere you go you'll it'll be served to you differently it's a very very versatile and diverse cocktail i found to be out there that it's can come in any shape or form
0: the other thing i wanted to kind of cover because i guess this is something i'd always I guess I hadn't thought much about, but it was interesting to learn. And that's the skinny margarita. And I'd always assumed it's kind of, and maybe it is kind of the diet version, right? It's calorie down, it's trimmed down, whatever it Mm -hmm. may be. And I don't know if any of that's true, but that's the way I always kind of looked at it. But really what that is, is that's when you're looking at just tequila and lime juice, you're basically taking out the orange liqueur, and anything else. So it's really just tequila and lime juice. And that's a, a skinny margarita.
1: Oh, I did not know that.
0: So do you have anything you want to share else to share on margaritas?
1: That they're good. And if you've never given them a try before, you should give it a chance and maybe try the house one
0: at wherever you're at. There you go. And and I, I always love the Cadillac. And, and I got to ask you, I know most people and traditionally are salt, rim people or though that there was the other one was that that they were putting on there tahine tahine which sounds actually and i'm not a salt person i don't like the salt on the rim i think to me that overpowers and or washes out some of the flavor of the tequila of the of the margarita for me personally although that tahine actually sounds delicious so i would give that a go but i'm assuming you're probably a salt person right
1: no, I, I agree with you. The salt is not my favorite thing on a margarita. I usually, if I'm ordering one somewhere, I'll order it without a salt rim, or if I am somewhere that I know has tahine, I will ask for tajin, just because it's a much more enjoyable experience than, than salt, I think
0: yeah yeah well, good. I'm glad it's it may not be only me then um because like I said, and that's it I think this the salt is so strong and overpowering, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, I just want to enjoy the 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 drink so but again, I know a lot of people that think I'm crazy. As a matter of fact, most people think I'm crazy and they and they enjoy their salt, but that's all good that's everybody gets to drink what they like, and that's what it's all about. All right, well, let's move on then to our uh next drink, the Moscow mule uh, and this is one that. Uh, for me anyway, just, and I think a lot of people just kind of popped up out of nowhere. It seemed anyway to kind of take the world by storm. For me, I want to say, geez, in the last five, 10 years, somewhere around in that range, you didn't, apparently it's been around a lot longer than than that. But um, that's when I really first kind of heard of it. So why why don't we talk a little bit about
1: that? Yeah, I was on the same page as you where I have the assumption that the Moscow Mule has not been around for too long. Um, That it definitely came about in like the 2000s, sometime for sure. But I was surprised to see that it actually came about much longer ago, about like 60 years ago in the 40s is What I was seeing, I don't know about you if you saw that.
0: Yeah, no, everything I saw, and it was pretty well traced back to that time, too. I mean, it was like Mm -hmm. documented evidence. Again, it's one of the few drinks, a lot of these drinks are like, as we've talked about, their history is a little... Uh, we'll call it sketchy at best, or, or at least uh, yeah. multiple origin stories. Yeah. Uh, but this one seemed to be pretty well documented, uh, and back in the nineteen forties, and so that that's a lot longer than I thought that this drink had been around.
1: Definitely, I thought so too. Um, and I was seeing, and I wonder if you saw this too, but the specific story there was like always the specific story I kept seeing when looking up the Moscow Mule, but it kind of varied ever so slightly every different resource I found on it. It was like the same kind of people, same kind of situation when the drink was made, but it kept changing a little bit each time I read about it, um, which I thought was very interesting and kind of fun. My favorite story that I think I found Uh, about the Moscow Mule was that there were three different men that one, whose name was John G. Martin was a alcohol seller and he couldn't sell his vodka. And then there was another man whose name was Jack Morgan who couldn't sell his ginger beer. And then there was a third man who I don't know if I ever found the name of this third man, but he had a bunch of copper mugs that he was trying to sell. And they all came together and kind of like created the Moscow Mule using the three of their things. And it just like took off from there, which I thought was very like, yeah. that was a fun story. Very interesting that three things that weren't wanted individually were all of a sudden wanted together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree. And and again, how accurate that is, who knows, but I love that, that story. And I love the story that way. And that was also very fascinating to me is that I thought well okay maybe the reason it took off in the 2000s somethings is because that's when they put it in the copper mug and and everybody you know it became fancy or different but no I mean from like day one it was served in that copper mug and so it's it's very interesting that that it is what it is and has been for so long uh and that you know and like you said and whether it was all these three people who needed to sell something or whether this had this brilliant idea or Whatever that looked like, I don't know, but it was, um, it, it's a fun origin story. And it, and again, just fascinating how much history that's actually there that, that I think most people just aren't aware of.
1: Yeah, and something I didn't know also with it is that it was originally made with lemon juice and not lime juice, which now I would like hmm. to try. I did not see that. Because that could be just as good, maybe even actually a little bit better
0: because of the slight variation in the flavor. Yeah. Um, I,
1: I'm a little partial to... Now,
0: why is that, if I, if you don't mind me asking?
1: I I just prefer the, the flavor of lemon to lime. I like lime a lot. There's nothing wrong with lime. But I just have always preferred lemon a little bit more. And... I would like to, to see what it, a Moscow meal tastes like with lemon juice in it. Um, I feel like it might be a little bit zippier, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But Yeah, well, no,
0: and I prefer lemon as well, actually. I was just kind of curious as somebody with like, you know, again, the, the history and experience that you've had, if there was something, if there was a reason behind it or, but it's just sounds like it's just your, your personal preference and, um, which I, I fully agree with
1: my it's a personal preference as well as I do uh, think that I'm a, I'm a big gin drinker and I think that lemon does tend to pair a little bit better with gin than lime and so that's why I think I find myself gravitating towards lemons a little bit more than limes
0: definitely definitely um awesome well so now did you get uh, any kind of i mean i i got a little bit but i want to kind of see what you found out about why the copper uh, or why the copper makes a difference or why it's stuck around as as long as it has
1: i didn't see anything too specifically other than the fact that it's kind of about like the presentation of it it is very like it pops it's noticeable uh as well as copper itself is um very good at kind of it's changing temperatures um i'm the right word is not coming to mind where it's um it's well here's what i found which yeah i loved it said it
0: was a superior thermal conductor How's yes
1: that yes that's that's a great way to say it um that's why at the distillery and just about every distillery uses copper stills uh it will change temperature very quickly it'll kind of maintain temperature so it'll my thought with the copper mug and a moscow mule is that it will keep your drink cold and your ice won't melt so quickly.
0: Interesting. I hadn't thought about that in, in relation to uh, the stills and, and why they're the copper, uh, but that actually now makes a whole lot mm-hmm. of sense. And according to theory, I've seen, like, I saw things out there, they said, be careful of the copper because you can get copper poisoning and whatnot, but oh, yeah. and ideally you want to do have it plated on the inside mm-hmm. with, you know, a, a, a something, but also, basically, there's nothing proven, and with the amount of time and exposure that it has to the copper, there's very, very little risk of any kind of being sick from it. So, yeah. ideally, use it with a, the coating on the inside. But if you get a served a mug that doesn't, you're you're going to be fine. Yeah. Just drink fast. There you go. <laughs> Problem solved. Drink, right?
1: <laughs> drink fast.
0: Yeah. So now I did find a couple variations I wanted to cover. I don't know if you came
1: across any, or do you want me to just kind of throw some out? Oh yeah, I'm curious as to what you found because working in bars, I've I've made several different variations before. So I'd like to see what what you found.
0: Yeah, and I didn't list them all because there are a bunch of them. So I just went there with some of lot. the ones that definitely stood out for me. So there's the Kentucky Mule, which mm-hmm. is bourbon which mm-hmm. makes sense bourbon country right yes uh the gin gin mule which would be gin and, and this is all instead of the vodka basically everything gin else gin. stays the same
1: i've heard the the gin gin mule referred to as a london mule
0: oh i like the london yeah. mule better than the it's gin, like gin london mule. dry that sounds better because this other one's like it's Kentucky. It's uh, I like the London mule because the next one is a Jamaican mule, yeah. which is using rum. Right. An Irish mule, which is using Irish whiskey.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, so again, I think that London mule sounds a lot yeah. better and fits better.
1: It fits the uh, theme. Here's
0: one for you, though, because uh, I know, yeah, that's <laughs> a theme, right? Uh, I know you're an absinthe lover. Yeah. Uh, so the bohemian replaces it with absinthe.
1: Uh, and then the dead
0: man's mule Mule. the dead man's mule
1: i've not heard of that one before
0: okay so this one is absinthe and cinnamon schnapps
1: interesting
0: plus the ginger and the lime so yeah i thought that sounded a little interesting uh and then last but not least i'm throwing this out there because it's Yeah, we're recording this and releasing this uh, at least the first time here in uh, November, early November. So it kind of is fitting for the fall and the holiday seasons coming up. But you have the mistletoe. Let me say that again. You have the mistletoe mule. Say that five times fast. Um, And that you just basically add a little rosemary and a little bit of cranberry.
1: Oh, i like that that sounds very good and is that with vodka
0: yeah yeah that one you keep you keep basically keep the vodka it's i i have a feeling the rosemary and cranberry are, are more just garnishes and then you can kind of kind of call it seasonal um but i could see where you could actually add like a little cranberry maybe i don't know as a liqueur or something for just that little bit of flavoring as well
1: totally totally um feel like i should recommend that to um, our tasting room bar staff um, when i see them next because we make a cranberry liqueur um and that would be delicious and i in a mistletoe mistletoe mule
0: yeah actually you guys make a great absinthe uh you make a great vodka actually and you make the the uh, the cranberry liqueurs we did a whole episode on that and recommend people go and listen that's delicious so yeah that might be a fun one to uh to kind of throw in there so uh Uh there you go there's some options for maybe for your tasting room Uh, did i miss anything that that you poured in the past that you want to mention
1: mexican mule tequila
0: Mm. There you go. Okay, well, we got another one we wanted to talk about today. And this one looked like a lot of fun. And I had never heard of this one when you mentioned it. But I loved the name because it's something I used to say occasionally and get really Mm -hmm. weird looks at um, for just kind of saying something is the bee's knees. uh, And that's the name of this drink, the bee's knees. So uh, uh, I looked it up uh, prior again, kind of doing some research and it sounds absolutely delicious. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about that one?
1: The Bee's Knees is one of my favorite cocktails. If I, if I ever see it on a bar's menu, I always order it. Um, and you were probably using the phrase, the Bee's Knees, just the way that it was intended for the drink, that it was great. It was, you know, it's phenomenal, it's wonderful. Um, or fantastic. Yeah, it's the best.
0: You're the bee's knees. It means you're, you know, you're the best, you're the coolest, you're whatever. Yeah, right? Exactly. It's it's awesome.
1: And I personally have only, um, within the past three years, knew what a bee's knees was. Uh, But apparently it came about during Prohibition when I was doing a little bit more research on it, it was the the 20s when people were making like bathtub gin and had secret bars underground or hidden away that the bee's knees came about. And with that, like with the bathtub gin and things that were kind of, were done In a way that they weren't, they didn't taste quite as good as the gins that we drink now. Um, They added some honey to them to kind of mellow out the harshness, and then some citrus to that to balance out the flavors. And there go the bees' knees, which. Classically, and most places still make it this way, it's equal parts gin, honey, and lemon. Um, I myself tend to do a little bit more gin, uh, but that's because I like to taste the gin. Uh, But it's a very, very simple drink. The recipe is super easy to make at home. It's uh, a really flavorful drink. And honey, the honey itself has so many layers of flavor in it that just normal sugar wouldn't be able to give you that it really opens up the flavors in the gin. And it is a great drink for this time of year as well. The different like spices you get from just honey itself are, are really nice in the fall winter time
0: yeah no I agree and like I said when I saw that and I saw what it's gin lemon juice and honey or citrus juice and honey I just said that sounds delicious <laughs> I I need to have me one of those and as actually now as we're talking about this it kind of made me think a little bit with the honey because the honey is the mead um and I just kind of thinking back to bloom there I uh, you know if there's some kind of a uh uh, type to make a mead a little mead and a little gin or something to kind of get a version of a bee's knees but i'm probably getting way too creative and way outside of my element so i'm just gonna try I, actually i need to find it somewhere or make it at home and and just try that so that's uh-huh. gonna actually happen that will happen before yeah. this thing gets released that's a promise you you should um <laughs> and that was like i saw that was yeah, that was started at the Ritz in Paris in 1921 is where it was is kind of first documented. Again, one of those few that does seem to have a pretty substantial like history, like everybody seems to agree. That's pretty much what happened.
1: We talked about the margarita variations, masca mule variations, but the Knees has variations as well. Um if you're not a big gin drinker, try switching it out for whiskey or, or vodka. It, the whiskey will surprise you. Uh, it's very good. And it's it's a trident, it's like, it's the bee's knees for a reason. You know, it's it stuck around for that long because it is a classic, though not super well known uh, by a whole lot. Like I didn't know about the drink until a couple of years ago, but it's one that I definitely will not forget anytime soon.
0: Yeah, well, I'll be I'll be looking for it on menus going forward. Yeah. Now, what I wanted to cover a couple of things. We're not going to talk uh, a, a couple more. We could have talked a couple more cocktails, but what I'd really rather do is dive into so both the the cocktails we talked about last time, and, and I have heard for both the Moscow Mule and the Bee's Knees. If you're feeling a little adventurous, shall we say, you can add some bitters into those drinks. And bitters is something that is always, I, I, I don't know, I mean, I, I've i had a lot of questions around, let me put it that way. So I assume a lot of other people do, because I know you you put a couple drops of bitters in and it makes an old fashioned and it makes a this and it makes a that. Um, but I had very little insight into what bitters are, but I understand you've got some pretty good background or knowledge into bitters so i would love for you to kind of explain a little bit about uh, what bitters are so when people are making cocktails or thinking about cocktails or anything else and bitters comes up they'll have a little bit more knowledge
1: yeah uh, bitters are a very interesting thing uh, to use in drinks and just by themselves i find them very fascinating and interesting. Uh, They are something you could easily make at home, uh, but they're also very easy to find at a grocery store, at a liquor store. Uh, They're very common and used at every bar, restaurant that serves any kind of mixed drink. You'll, You'll find bitters there. And there are a couple like key players in the manufacturing of bitters that you'll find. The most popular one, the most common one is Angostura. And the second is Peychaud's. Both are very good bitters and used very frequently, but they taste quite different from each other as well. Uh, Peychaud's is going to be a little bit more fruity, a little bit more floral, where Angostura is going to be a little bit more citrusy and more bitter tasting.
0: Get a little bit more into what they they actually are. So this is what I read as an actual, uh, before we go into some of the history, because the history is fascinating and long. Uh, and I love that. First, though, is this is the the definition I read, which again, some of these definitions, I think, are always a little bit I don't interesting I mean I guess if you had to define words maybe this is the ways to do them but uh, it was for bitters is an alcoholic preparation flavored with botanical matter <laughs> and so I just I don't know I mean between alcoholic preparation and botanical matter I'm just kind of like that doesn't tell yeah. me a whole lot but it from what I gather it, it seems like a heavily steeped um alcohol almost like like almost like you make a really strong tea so you'd get these um, botanicals if you will which could be roots or herbs or barks or fruits right and then you just steep them for a really long time until they get this really strong intense flavor is that accurate or am, am i getting that
1: right yeah no that's that's pretty much what it is um they're the, the the process of making bitters is very simple and very straightforward. You take botanicals, whatever you want, and you soak it in high proof alcohol for a long time and you strain it.
0: Yeah. Real quick. You say high proof alcohol. Would that, would you just take a vodka? Would you take a gin or does it matter or?
1: So it, it depends. Um, when it, it there there are a couple of different like ways you can go about making bitters. One of which is if you're gonna you be using them just for cocktails. Uh, classically, like traditionally, bitters were medicinal, used to treat ailments, uh, to help. Upset stomachs, or get rid of a cold, or clear your throat, or you know what, what, what have you? They were like designed and made for different purposes. If you're making a, a bitters for using in cocktails, I would say the higher proof, the better um if you could get 80 percent, 160 proof ever clear that's perfect for something for a drink i think about what i want it to be like so like if i want to make something similar to angostura i'll throw in everything into one bucket i'll throw one of your key ingredients you'd want to use for that is gentian root. Throw in a bunch of gentian, some cloves, some orange peel, whatever else you might think would be good for that. Put in high proof alcohol, let it sit for two weeks, strain it all. And there's your bitters. Got it.
0: Awesome. Okay. So Thank you for that, because I I, like I said I had a lot of questions on exactly what they are and a little bit on how they're made. But let's dive a little bit into the the history then.
1: Angostura,
0: those actually were originated in eighteen twenty four for seasickness and stomach issues. So those have been that's Uh been around almost two hundred years. It's been around uh, you know a whole lot longer than cocktails have. Oh, definitely. There was a note uh, in a book and it said it was in 1806 with the first mention of a cocktail. uh, And it said it was a stimulating liquor, sugar, water, and bitters. And that was Mm -hmm. in 1806. So bitters has been a element one way or another of cocktails uh, for a very long time. Mm
1: -hmm. That was, I believe in the previous episode, on cocktails we spoke about was the old fashioned. And that was one of the first big cocktails. And that's that description of a cocktail you just said is very much what an old fashioned is.
0: <laughs> that's right. Okay. And so uh, I guess the only, I, I'll get uh, my only parting thought on this and I'll get kind of any parting thoughts you have on bitters is, but basically Uh, What I read is that since cocktails are usually balancing or have some kind of a sour and or a sweet flavor, the bitters is kind of adds that third flavor kind of rounds it out, balances it and adds complexity, which is why you would actually put them in a drink. It it kind of, uh, again, brings in that, that last element of flavor.
1: Exactly. If but going back to the old fashioned, if you didn't have the bitters in there, it's just going to kind of be like sweet whiskey, sweet bourbon. You know, you you want to add something a little extra to fold in those flavors, round it out, make it a bit more complex, a little more interesting.
0: Awesome. Anything else you want to kind of share on bitters or, 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 uh, tell people to leave people with on bitters uh, last words of wisdom uh, anything else that direction
1: um, I would recommend if you're curious about bitters at all you should there's there are so many different bitters out there it's not just Angostura and Peixodes. Um definitely like look into them try them out um, put them just in soda water just drink that it's really tasty i think um if you have like an upset stomach that's the perfect thing to do otherwise if you're even more interested you should try looking into making your own um there are a lot of resources out there and they're not that difficult to do um and it's a lot of fun
0: yeah and i highly recommend that i've had a lot of fun i've actually home brewed some beer now i've uh Done a few different things here and and so I highly encourage that as well is kind of experiment a little bit, play around a little bit and and make it at home. It brings that a um, little bit extra knowledge, a little bit of extra fun, uh, just a little extra something to uh, to the whole experience.
1: Mm-hmm. And a good gift for the holidays to give people, if you like to make things for someone.
0: Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. If you make a, a good bitters recipe that you like, that would be a great holiday gift Yes, uh, for anyone just because it, it's like homemade, it's delicious. And uh, most people uh, are, are, you know, making cocktails at home and or should be we did our home bar episode came out last week, if you're listening to these in, in order here. Uh, We talk a little bit about uh, having some bitters and and the fun and joy, I think, of making drinks at home and making them for others. So that adds that extra element in there where you can say, oh, and hey, these are my bitters or these bitters were given to me by my friend. So I think that that's a, I I love that idea. Yeah. If you want more information, you can check us out at theunsophisticatedpalate.com. And until next time, drink responsibly. Cheers, Ian. Cheers.